What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tri tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've been with us the past several weeks, you know that we've been covering this chapter 8 of Romans, uh, probably one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. And uh, Jerry and Randy Pope have done all of the heavy lifting, right? They've covered things like suffering and persecution. Uh, they talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. Jerry talked about that unbreakable chain of redemption, and he covered in that predestination and free will. So they've done all of the heavy lifting, and the, so the job today is just to bring this all to a great conclusion as we look at this passage. And we do that by looking at verse 31 when Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? In other words, how should we conclude? What things are we talking about? Well, I love the way that Randy Pope started off, us off in this series, and what he said was, uh, he framed all of chapter 8 this way. He talked about it as the advantage of the faith. In other words, there's great advantage to being in the faith. And if you remember, he, he said this expression, if you want to live your very best life ever, that's found in Jesus Christ. It's found by being in the faith. And he listed four, four examples of this, and those are acceptance, suffering, assurance, and security. Those are great, great truths. And Paul says, what shall we say to these things? And the way Paul answers that is kind of interesting. What we find when we look at this passage is what, what does he do? He answers that by asking five more questions, right? Some of you guys know people like this, right? <laughs> you ask a question and you don't get an answer. You get another question back coming at you. Well, I want to assure you that the Apostle Paul, he's not being evasive this morning. He is using what we know as the Socratic method, right? Socrates actually came hundreds of years before Paul, uh, and it's a way of teaching students and eliciting answers by asking questions. And that's what Paul is doing this morning. So we're going to take a look at these five questions. Here they are. Who can be against us in verse 31? How will he not give us all things, verse 32? Who will charge us, verse 33? Who will condemn us, verse 34? And who will separate us from the love of Christ, verse 35? And so this morning, we're going to unpack all of these five questions and see what great truth we can learn as we conclude this great passage of Scripture. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's jump right in on question one. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? Verse 31. 
Now, um, the Bible has a lot of crazy stories, doesn't it? A lot of ridiculous, unbelievable, fantastic, um, silly stories. One of the, for me, one of the silliest passages of Scripture is found in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, and to set the stage, this is the story about uh, Joshua and the nation of Israel as they go to conquest uh, Jericho. And they had just crossed the River Jordan. They're being led by Joshua, and they come up on their very, very first obstacle. See, God had promised them the promised land. And we might think that, hey, that's going to be an easy thing. But they had to go in, and they had to take it. And they come up against a very great obstacle, the, the great city of Jericho, that's surrounded by great walls, okay? And so, when you think about what they're facing, you can wonder, can we really overcome this obstacle? What would God have for us? Well, God speaks to Joshua and he says this. He says, I'm going to give you Jericho into your hands. But this is what you're going to have to do in order to take Jericho. And this is where the silly part of the story comes in. He says this. Take your, take your priests. Take the ark. Take a few of your armed people. March around the city six times. Blow your horns for six days. And then on the seventh day, do that. Do the very same thing. And after you're done blowing your horns, give a great shout. And guess what's going to happen? the walls are going to come tumbling down, and you're going to take Jericho, and you're going to conquer it, okay? Sounds a little silly to me. I mean, if I was there, if you were there, wouldn't you be wondering, God, is this really the best battle plan that you have? Is this how we're really going to take the city? Yeah, it's, we can wonder when we're in trial and in these sorts of circumstances, but what happens? We fast forward to the end of the story. Joshua and the Israelites, they trust God, they obey God, and guess what happens? The walls come tumbling down and they conquer that great city. And so, when we look at this example, this is a fantastic example of God being with us and us conquering our enemies through the battle. Right? But, but are we supposed to conclude from this? If we just have enough faith, if we just try harder, if we just walk in obedience, we're always going to win the battles. Is that what it's about? No, I heard a no. Good, good. Hey, if you know your Bibles, you know that doesn't sound true. You know that does, doesn't ring true, right? We just have to look at a few other areas of Scripture and see counterexamples to that, right? Look at the life of Job. He came up against some serious, serious obstacles, and they crushed him. They crushed him. Look at the life of Stephen in the New Testament. Surely God was for Stephen. And Stephen came to a very bitter end by being stoned. So it's not about trying harder. It's not about being more obedient. So we need to ask, what does it mean when we say God is for us? When God is for us, it means he wants the very best for us. And because he is almighty God, guess what? He gets the very best for us. Now, you parents know a little bit about what this looks like, right? 
I'm sure you are for your kids. You want the best for your kids. But what does that mean? It means sometimes you allow them to go through difficult times and difficult circumstances, and you don't step in right away to save them from that hardship. Why? Because you know it's for their good. God does the same thing with us. And so the very best for us is when God glorifies Jesus in us by conforming us to his image. And when God is conforming us to the image of Jesus, we are living our very best possible life ever. Now I know that some of you this morning, you're going to hear that and you're, you're going to question that and wonder, how can that be? And God is sanctifying us as part of that unbreakable golden chain of redemption. You're actually living your best life ever, regardless of the circumstances you're in. And so who or what is against you today? What are you facing? What are you fearing? What's threatening to overcome you? What big wall are you facing? Christian, know this, that the God and the Lord of the universe is for you, the one who created heaven and earth, the one who holds all things in his hands. He is for you. He is on your side. He is your ally. And nothing can thwart God's good purpose of bringing glory to his Son by making you more like him. Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. That word stronghold in the Hebrew, ma'otz, it means refuge. It means fortress. It's a place of safety. It's a place of protection. It's like a mountain. And when you are in Christ, you're in the mountain of Christ. You're in the place of safety. God is for you. No one or nothing can be against you. That second question, let's jump to that. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 32. 32. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth that we've got to apprehend by faith. The truth is this, that we have everything. We have everything in Jesus Christ. And Paul here is using the argument from the greater to the lesser, right? He who did not spare his own son. If God didn't spare his own son, his most precious thing, his most valuable thing, if he didn't do that, how will he not give us lesser things? God gave us his very best in Jesus Christ, right? How will he not give us all things? When Debbie and I were uh, young and married, the first few years into our marriage, and we were thinking about having kids, and um, we considered the possibility, we were thinking we wanted to get to a more stable living situation in order to provide well for them. So we wanted to get out of running. We wanted to, to do that big thing and buy a house for the very first time. And for young people, it's a scary, scary thing. We didn't know, uh, how much money do you need to save to buy a house, right? What's on a closing statement? There's all sorts of crazy expenses that you don't know that you're going to have to pay for. And what would it, what would it take to, you know, maintain a house? Um, what would it cost? 
are all these things like taxes, property taxes, and insurance? Um, well, we walked through that very difficult process. We saved and saved for years, and then we bought our very first house. And then years later, we had all these little kids coming, you know, one, two, three, four. <laughs> um, but you know, when they were growing up, and for instance, they would come out, you know, for breakfast in the morning, they'd say, you know, Daddy, Mommy, I'm hungry. I want, I want something to eat. Well, of course, we're going to feed them, right? We're living in this wonderful house that we've provided for you. We've done the harder work. Or, you know, kids, as they're growing up year by year, you're just buying clothes and shoes all of the time, right? Your closet is full of these things. And they come to you and say, you know, Daddy, my shoes are too tight. Can I have another pair? You're not going to say no. You say, of course, I'm going to give that to you. I love you. Look what I've already provided for you. Won't I provide you with a pair of shoes. Our Heavenly Father is doing the same thing with us. We know from Matthew chapter 6, I won't, I won't read the scripture, but you guys are probably familiar with this. Jesus says, you're more valuable than the birds of the air, than the lilies of the field. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about food and clothing. I'm going to take care of those things for you. You don't have to be anxious. And when we're looking to find things that we can't get, right, what happens? We get, we get anxious. But think about it. We're in, the, we're in the, a first world here. And for most of us, we don't have anxiety. We, we don't worry about food and clothing and shelter so much. We, bore, we worry about those deeper needs, right? We need to be significant. We need to be loved, we need to be in a relationship. We need to have approval, security, joy, peace, freedom, rest. We need all of these things. And the truth is, the Bible is telling us that we have everything in Jesus Christ. And when we seek to satisfy these things apart from Christ, what's going to happen? We're just going to be disappointed. Jeremiah 2.13 says it this way, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Brothers and sisters, everything that we seek apart from Christ to satisfy us is a broken cistern. Everything that we seek apart from Christ to satisfy us is a broken cistern. Right? We're going to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And what we're going to find, if it's not Christ, it's a broken container. It's going to run out. And at the end of that container is going to be disappointment. And if you don't find your satisfaction in Christ, you're going to be tempted to go to the very next thing to find your satisfaction. But know this, your Abba Father, your Daddy, knows what you need, all of your need, your physical, your emotional, your spiritual needs. He knows it all, and he provides those all abundantly in Christ Jesus. Jesus is that great manna, the great bread that comes out of heaven. Jesus is the river of living water. And when we eat and when we drink of Jesus, we will hunger and thirst no more. He's the only thing that satisfies. 
And so we have to really apprehend this truth, right? If we don't apprehend this truth, what are we going to do? We're going to continue to chase the world and the things of the, this world to find satisfaction. And we're not going to find it because it's only in Christ that we can have all of these things. Well, let's move on to questions 3 and 4. They're found in verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. The enemy is going to try to accuse you. He's known as the accuser. And we're going to hear lies coming at us. Actually, you know this, we're actually good ourselves at condemning ourselves, right? Accusing ourselves. We're going to hear things like this. You have to be better to be a believer. You have to be better to be a Christian. You have to have more faith. You've got to try harder. Or what about this one? You can't possibly be a Christian. Look at what you've done. Early on in uh, my corporate career, uh, a few years in, I was what we used to call back then wet behind the ears. I was young, inexperienced. I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. And so I surrounded myself with what? Other people who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to do, but that's what I did. I had other guys that were a few years out of college, and so what did we do to try to figure things out? We looked at the guys in the organization that we thought that were successful. These are some leaders that we thought, wow, they know what they're doing. They're leading these $100 million projects. Surely we're going to learn something about the corporate world by watching them, right? Well, what we found was a very disturbing disturbing pattern, unfortunately. These guys, uh, though they looked great, they looked uh, great on the outside, uh, they did great in meetings, what happened? Uh, they actually ended up running the projects into the ground through mismanagement, miscommunication with the customer, misexecution of deliveries and whatnot. Um, and this was a pattern that we saw over and over again. And we thought to ourselves, well, that guy, he's not going to be here next week. He's not going to be here. There's no way those charges are going to stick against him. How He's going to have to answer to what he's done. But what was surprising to us is that not only were they there next week and next month and next year, but they got promoted. They kept on moving up in the organization. Maybe you guys know people like that at your place of work. Um, one of my friends, he had this uh, expression he used to call them by. He, he said, these guys are Teflon men. Teflon men. In other words, nothing will stick to them. Nothing will stick to them. Nothing bad will ever stick to them. It's as if they had somebody watching out for them the whole time. And guess what? They did. They had someone watching out for them the whole time. They had the CEO in their back pocket. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. You too have someone watching out for you. You know someone. And he's at the right hand of the Father. He's at the place of position of power. 
and authority and honor. And what is he doing? He's interceding. He's appealing to God the Father on your behalf. And so I think it's actually better to say it this way. It's not that you know him. It's that he knows you. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows who you are. If you've been with us uh, the last few weeks in chapter 8, there's something astounding here that we've learned as well. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now that's amazing. Did you catch that? You see, we've got two persons of the Godhead interceding on our behalf. We have God the Son and God the Holy Spirit interceding, appealing for us. So what about those charges? Paul answers it this way. He gives the answer in the text. He says you can't be charged. Why? Because you've already been cleared. God has justified you. You can't be condemned. Why? Because that condemnation, that sentence, that penalty has fallen on his son Jesus. And where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. And he knows you. That makes all of the difference. Let's move to that last question, question five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes on in the passage to list seven things. Tribulation. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. These are things, actually, that Paul himself uh, had experienced. Sufferings and trials. And it's been a theme for us these last several weeks as we've gone through chapter 8. Paul goes on in verse 36, and he quotes something very interesting. He quotes from the Old Testament here. Interjects this. And he, he quotes from Psalm 42 and he's 44, and he says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. or being killed all the day long. It's a little bit of a strange verse to, to throw in there. But what's going on? If we go back to Psalm 44 and we read that psalm, what are we going to find? We're going to find that that psalm is all about what? Suffering. It's all about suffering. The nation of Israel suffering from the surrounding nations. And how do they feel? They feel like God has left them. They feel like God has hidden their face. They feel like God has indeed forgotten. And when we go through suffering, and when we face big walls and big trials and mountains, it can feel like that for us at times, right? We can feel like God has left us. God is no longer for us. Maybe God doesn't love me any longer. Well, if we fast forward to the end of the psalm in verse 26, here's what the psalmist says. He says, rise up, come to our help, redeem, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. He's crying out to God because he thinks God has forgotten him. And what does he do? He's appealing to the love of God as if 
God's love had ever changed or stopped. And I think this is a great, great contrast for us to see here. We're living in the new covenant under Jesus Christ, and we have a great, great advantage. What they can only perceive dimly, we see super clear. We see super clear that the one who chose us from the foundation of the world is the one who loved us from the foundation of the world. And the one who loved us has not left us. No matter what circumstance, no matter what trial you're going through, God's love for you has not changed one bit, one iota. In verse 37, Paul ups the ante, in my opinion. He goes one step further. He says something audacious, something bold, something at times it's hard to to comprehend. He says, no, in all these things, in all these trials and sufferings, what does he say? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm. So we don't just survive our sufferings. We don't just sort of make it through our sufferings. In some sense, we have the victory over our sufferings. Hear what Jesus was saying to his disciples before he left them. In John 16, he says this, In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so you see, it's not about us having greater faith, trying harder, being more obedient. That's not how we're overcoming. We're overcoming because Jesus himself overcome, overcame. Everything that you may be facing, grief, loss, illness, a relationship breakdown, whatever you're facing, Jesus has overcome it. Jesus has overcome it, and therefore, you too have overcome it. So what is the answer to this last question? What is the answer? Who shall separate us? Paul gives us the answer in verses 38 through 39. He says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. I love that word, for I am sure. I am sure. I am confident. This is what he concludes. Nothing is going to separate us from his love, especially what you're facing, the trial that you're facing. Not even the devil, the accuser himself. Not even you and your own failures and your own sins will separate you from that kind of love that was set upon you from the foundation of the world. And so no power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck you from his loving hand. But these promises that we're talking about this morning, these five great promises, they're for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are found in Christ. And if you're not in Christ this morning, the answers to these five questions are going to go quite, quite differently. Because of your sin, because of your rejection of God, because of your rebellion, 
God is going to be against you. He's going to be against you. Because of your sin, you're going to suffer the loss of everything. Even though you're trying to grab hold of things, you're going to suffer the loss of everything. You will be charged. You will be charged. And you will be condemned. And you will suffer eternal separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so I urge you this morning, I urge you this morning to be found in Christ by faith. Not by trying harder, not by running to obedience, but be found in him by faith. What he has done for you. He's lived the perfect life on your behalf. The righteous for the unrighteous. He was condemned on the cross on your behalf. So flee to Christ. Flee to the mountain of Christ, the place of safety, and you'll find that God is for you. If you do this, you'll join the many saints across the world and through the ages, and you'll experience and know, you'll know these five wonderful truths that God is for you because he set his face against his Son That God gives you freely all things. Why? Because he took away everything from his son Jesus. And that no charge could stand against you. Why? Because God took all those charges and he leveled them. He laid them on Jesus for you. And there's no longer any condemnation for you. Why? Jesus. God condemned Jesus in the flesh on the cross for you. And finally, you can never be separated from the love of God. Why? Because Jesus himself was separated from the love of the Father for you. Brothers and sisters, these are, these are wonderful, wonderful truths. And so it's not about having more faith. It's about realizing that Jesus already accomplished all of this for us. And so we can rest. We can rest. Whatever we're facing, whatever mountain we're facing, we can rest knowing He has overcome. And when we do, we're going to have that deep abiding rest. We're going to have that peace that surpasses all understanding. We're going to have that hope that's unexplainable. We're going to have joy. He's going to give you significance. He's going to give you approval. He's going to give you freedom. He's going to give you security. All of these things and so much more are found only in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these these truths are so hard for us to grasp at times. Especially, Lord, when we face trials. Especially, Lord, when we're being pressed in on all sides. When we're suffering loss. When we're facing opposition. When we're hearing accusations, either from ourselves or from the enemy. Lord, we need to rest in what Jesus has done for us. So I pray that you would help us to know these truths. Help us to know these great truths that we have overcome in your Son, 
that nothing can separate us from his love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.